Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. All the meals are chef-crafted, dietitian approved they're always fresh, never frozen, and unbelievably, they're ready to go in just two minutes. You've got more than 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. That's not including any of the 60-plus add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. That's right, no dishes. And they're flexible for your schedule. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime, like if you decide to go on vacation or something. So what are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com infamous50 and use code infamous50 to get 50% off. That's code infamous50 at factormeals.com infamous50 to get 50% off. It's an early morning at the end of summer in Asheville, North Carolina. The birds are chirping, the streets are just beginning to come to life, and a few dozen protesters are descending upon the town's favorite coffee shop. It's a picturesque two-story building with marigold-colored siding. On the lawn in front, there's a giant portafilter. That's the spoon thing that holds the coffee in an espresso machine. The one that baristas are always jamming in and then shaking used coffee grounds out of. And hanging from the portafilter is a sign with a big yellow W on it. Above that is a brown teardrop, presumably a drop of coffee. It says, Waking Life Espresso. Hand-brewed coffee and espresso. I looked up hand-brewed coffee and it turns out it's just pour over. Anyway, in front of all this, there are dozens of people picketing. Mostly women, many with asymmetrical haircuts. They've brought their own coffee in giant chrome urns and cookies and water. It's all sitting on a picnic table they've commandeered. They're holding handwritten signs that say things like boycott waking life and respect women and would you call your mother a f**k sock? Because this protest is not about lattes or espressos or even hand brews. It's about something the owner did, a secret life he had. And when it came out, it blew the whole town apart. Last season on The Pickup Artist. You may or may not be old enough to remember VH1 reality shows, but there is a really bad one about pickup artists. It was hosted by a guy who called himself Mystery. He had a soul patch and wore hideous clothes. Think a frilly pirate shirt with ski goggles and loads of jewelry. His voice is a little like Jordan Peterson's. And if we're honest, his philosophy's not that far off. This is an example, what you see tonight, of the lifestyle that one can afford if one chooses to focus on changing his life. Mystery started off as a mentalist, a sort of mind reader who did shows in Vegas. But what he's really known for is being a pickup artist, meaning he had a whole bunch of convoluted methods to trick women into sleeping with him, like negging, that's giving backhanded compliments, and peacocking, wearing stupid outfits as conversation starters. You're huggable, I need to hug you, I don't know why. For God's okay. sakes, man, take this woman from me! Oh hell, I'll give you 200 bucks to get rid of her for me. Oh, no, you're lovely. 
Mystery rose to fame in Neil Strauss's 2005 book, The Game, which I actually recently reread, obviously ironically. Because, and I probably don't need to say this, pickup artistry is sleazy and gross. Now, this is a story about some women who did fall for these tricks, but they also had a lot of ways to get back at the owner of Waking Life Espresso, the guy who pulled these tricks on them. From Sony Music Entertainment and Campside Media, this is Infamous. I'm Natalie Rotenbett, and this is part one of our series, The Pickup Artist Uncovered. All self-proclaimed pickup artists seem to have the same caterpillar-to-butterfly transformation story. Once I was a sad boy who couldn't get girls to sleep with me, then I learned these tricks, and now I have six women I casually sleep with but don't care about. Jared Rutledge, the owner of Waking Life Espresso, had that same story. And before we go further, I just want to say that no, Jared was not one of the nebishes on the pickup artist reality show but he did take the whole pickup artistry thing way, way too far. He hurt people. He caused a major rift in a small community. It became national news, and somebody even put on a community theater play about it. This is a story about betrayal, about women scorned, and about whether or not people can really change. I'm going to pass it over to journalist Rachel Munro, who's going to take over the story from here as a guest host for the next two episodes. In 2015, I was going through a breakup. A bad one. I was the one who ended it, but we were both really mad at each other. I remember one phone call that went on so long that I actually fell asleep while he was ranting at me. His anger was just so nonstop that it was boring. We lived in Marfa, Texas, which is a small town, really small. There's like one gym, one liquor store, two bars, and everyone more or less knows everybody else. Since my ex had lived there longer and the breakup was my idea, he thought I should move away, but I didn't want to. It got to the point where if I saw his car parked outside the gym or the grocery store or the bar, I just wouldn't go in. I'd drive away and come back later. And like I said, this was a claustrophobically small town, so it wasn't like there were many other options. I'd loved my small town life, but for the first time, I was feeling stuck. Everywhere I went, there was my breakup. One afternoon, I was sitting at home, killing time on the internet, while I hid out after another failed attempt to buy groceries. Yes, his car was in the parking lot again. I opened a tab and then another tab, looking for something distracting. On Jezebel, I read about a guy in Asheville, Jared, a respected coffee shop owner who'd been outed for having a secret life as a pickup artist. He'd written a blog describing his conquests. All these women who had dated him, and he dated a lot of women, found out that he'd been writing about them online and talking about them in his podcast and tweeting about them, saying really awful things. Asheville was bigger than Marfa, but it was still a small community. Everyone suddenly knew very private things about these women. I felt trapped in this never-ending small-town breakup. I could only imagine what it was like for them. Once I started reading the things that Jared had written, I couldn't stop. And since it was pretty miserable lurking around trying to hide from my ex, 
I figured that taking a trip to North Carolina was a good excuse to get out of town. So I booked a flight and fled Texas, basically. Landing in Asheville was a relief. It was this small, hippie mountain town, but it wasn't my small town. There were strangers everywhere and none of them knew a thing about my breakup. Over the internet, I had managed to find a couple women who had dated Jared. We met up when I was in town, at a bar. They were hesitant to talk. There had already been so much drama, but they also really wanted to talk. They'd had this incredibly fucked up experience and they needed to work through it. It was the first time I'd ever done online dating because I was single again after being in a long relationship and I didn't know anybody in town. One of the first women I met asked to be anonymous. We're calling her Stephanie. She had this understated, wry sense of humor. She seemed like the kind of person who'd have a collection of wacky earrings. Stephanie explained that she'd moved to town with her boyfriend, and then they broke up. We still had a couple of months together on the lease before we could move out, and so I really just wanted to get out of the house. I remember telling friends explicitly, like, I'm not trying to get married. You know, I, I really just want to have fun and be out and meet people and have fun. She made an okay Cupid profile, but she was not thrilled with her options. In Asheville, there was probably more than average amount of people who were maybe like underemployed or who worked in industries like, um, I don't know, there were a lot of like yoga guys. Yoga guys. I don't really know what that means and yet I know exactly what she means. In my town it's not yoga guys, it's welders. They can build you a table but they're probably drunk while they're doing it. Anyway, so to Stephanie, Jared stood out. He owned a business. He seemed like a grown-up. A man. It was refreshing. For their first date, they met up at a bar. Our first date, we met up for drinks. And when I arrived, he was standing at the bar, like, chatting with the bartender. And he offered me a sip of his drink. And he was like, you got to try this. It's something, something. So I was like, okay, you know, pretty confident right off the bat. And it was a good date. We had drinks and then he walked me to my car and we kissed and then he invited me back to his house and he was kind of pressing for me to sleep with him that night and I declined and then he wanted to set up another date right away it wasn't perfect but it was better than a lot of other dates that i had had and I enjoyed spending time with him and I was attracted to him he was respectful of my wish to not sleep with him that night you know he didn't push too hard on that I mean the bar's so low. I didn't feel like any kind of sleazy or icky feeling after it. I didn't feel bored during the day. It was better than me reading a book at home. So yeah, the bar is low. But Jared cleared it, at least. It sounded like a perfectly average time. Maybe it would turn into something more or not. A woman recalling Cassandra started chatting with Jared on OkCupid around the same time. I first met her at the same bar where I'd met Stephanie. The two women didn't know each other outside of their experience with Jared, but they had a similar smart, no bullshit vibe. Jared had a type, I guess. Because I was brand new to the town and I was fresh meat that like all these, you know, Asheville guys with, you know, either a job or a car, but not often both. But Jared had both. Again, he's not a yoga guy, he's a catch. I remember 
that when he picked me up, he was like, like kind of judgmentally was like, do you usually have men pick you up at your house? I literally was just like, you own a business in this town and it would be very unwise for you to do anything bad because it could mess up with your business. Um, and yeah, he should have listened to me. On that first date, he seemed totally harmless, almost awkward. One of the things I really liked about him is that he didn't seem to have a game. We went back to his place. He had like a little bar set up in the apartment upstairs from the coffee shop. And he was making me some kind of cocktail that had a cherry in it and had a jar of cherries then. It spilled on like a white Ikea couch. I was just like, like not like charmed by it, but I was just like, cool, this is like, you know, this is just like a person. Cassandra and Jared only went on a handful of dates before things kind of fizzled, but she still thought of him as a perfectly adequate person to date. When her friends matched with him on Tinder, she'd vouch for him. Remember, Asheville is not that big, so when you date someone there, you're going to cross paths with them again somewhere. I had so many friends be like, who is this guy? Like, what's his deal? Um, and I would just be like, he's nice, pretty good combo. I think it's a fine choice. Uh, he's like a soft brunette man, like who doesn't like a soft brunette man? Like that's easy enough. Talking to Stephanie and Cassandra about all this, it was like getting a glimpse of this world that I'd be wading into now that I was single again. It had been years since I'd had to go through the whole exhausting dating routine, making a profile on the apps, weeding out the obvious psychos, awkwardly attempting to flirt over text, putting on a cute outfit and going to meet a stranger. That awful part at the beginning of a first date when you meet at the bar or the coffee shop or whatever and you have to decide if you're gonna hug or not. And both Stephanie and Cassandra were doing what you're supposed to do as a woman dating in the 21st century. They were being cool, being chill, keeping their expectations low. That's how you avoid getting hurt, right? And Jared, this soft brunette man, he seemed so harmless. But as Stephanie kept dating him, every now and then, something would happen that just seemed off. On one of their dates, Jared saw another woman he was dating, and he got really weird about it. Like, ducking down into the booth so she won't see me weird. I was like, what's going on? And he said something. I remember he said the phrase, like, I don't like getting my wires crossed. In the horror movie, that's like the... That's the first thing, right? Yeah. It's like the early like sound outside the window, and you're like, that's probably nothing. It was definitely not nothing. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. All the meals are chef-crafted, dietitian approved they're always fresh, never frozen, and unbelievably, they're ready to go in just two minutes. You've got more than 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. That's not including any of the 60 plus add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. 
That's right, no dishes. And they're flexible for your schedule. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime, like if you decide to go on vacation or something. So what are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com infamous50 and use code infamous50 to get 50% off. That's code infamous50 at factormeals.com infamous50 to get 50% off. The early 2000s was a breeding ground for bad reality competition series. From shows like Kid Nation, CBS's weird Lord of the Flies style social experiment that took 40 kids to live by themselves in a ghost town. To The Swan, where women spent months undergoing a physical transformation and then were made to compete in a beauty pageant. On each episode of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop, comedians join host Misha Brown to chronicle one of the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? Recently, The Big Flop looked at The Swan, a competition show between women who were hoping to transform their physical appearance. The problem? The women were isolated for weeks, berated, operated on, and then were ranked by a panel of judges. It all led to trauma for the contestants and terrible reviews. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free by joining Wondery Plus. This is Infamous from Campside Media. Pretty much nobody in town knew it at the time, but Jared was actually making a name for himself in one of the uglier corners of the internet, the manosphere. This is the online world where men convince themselves that women have all the power and where they share manipulation strategies so they can regain their rightful dominance. There are various flavors of male aggrievement in the manosphere. You've probably heard about the incels or involuntarily celibate guys who have been known to commit mass murder or the men's rights advocates who complain online about feminists. Jared was mostly into the world of pickup artistry, basically sharing cheesy tricks that are supposed to make women fall all over you. As you might imagine, the world of pickup artistry is steeped in misogyny. Women are conquests, notches in your belt, or in the phrase Jared preferred, plates that you keep spinning. His goal was to have what he called a harem, multiple ongoing low commitment sexual relationships. Stephanie didn't know about any of this at the time. She did know that Jared was dating other people. She was dating other people too. In terms of committed long-term relationships, that was pretty clear that that was not going to be, it just, he just wasn't a candidate for that, no. Even though he had a job and a car. There were things about Jared that bugged her. He had grown up in a super religious family and had left the church pretty recently. Plus, he'd been a philosophy major in college, and sometimes you could really tell. There was a little bit of, like, that adolescent vibe of having a chip on your shoulder about, like, religion, or, like, society, like, okay, like, I, you know, like, rolling your eyes a little bit, like, okay, you know, I'll wait until you're done with this, and then we'll move on to another topic. One of Jared's favorite topics was dating. It was almost like his two hobbies were coffee and dating. He loved to talk about the people that he was seeing, and he wanted to know how things were going with Stephanie's other relationships, too. He'd help her analyze texts from other guys and give her advice about how she should respond. Like, stuff about spacing out your texting, it kind of all boiled down to be more withholding. 
don't talk about your feelings. Don't communicate as much as you might want to. It sounds like that kind of old-fashioned advice that you'd get from, like, an aunt that you don't really get along with, how to catch a man. Still, Stephanie and Jared were really open and honest with one another. Or at least that's what she thought at the time. On this one afternoon, Stephanie arrived at Jared's for a date. Now, Jared's home was also his office. He was early on the work-from-home thing, you could say. The coffee shop was on the first floor. It was called Waking Life after the Richard Linklater movie, which is a real philosophy major move. It was in this cute yellow building, and there was a special room in the back for philosophical discussion groups to meet. Jared definitely aspired to some sort of European salon-type situation. His apartment was right above the shop, and even though he was allegedly this mature business owner, his living situation wasn't exactly adult. There was a half bath, and he couldn't take a shower while the coffee shop was open because the shower was in the main bathroom inside the coffee shop. So um, it was not going to his house like, like a normal home. Jared explained to her right when she arrived that, oh, sorry, he can't have sex with her today. Why? He told me that he couldn't take a shower because, you know, the the business downstairs was open and he couldn't go in and use the shower there because he had just been with somebody the night before and he still had her like, you know, like gross to talk about. I don't want to be vulgar. You know, like he had been with somebody the night before and hadn't cleaned off. I was like, okay, like let's just watch Zero Dark 30. In a way, again, the bar is really low. In a way I was thinking, okay, you know, glad he told me, glad, that's better than the alternative where he, you know, where I hook up with him and he's not, I don't, I don't know, you know, with a not great hygiene situation, I'll say. Yeah. Like it's kind of considerate in a way, <laughs> in a twisted way. It's kind of nice for him to give me a heads up. <sighs> they ended up seeing each other for about six months. And by the end of it, it really felt like they were friends. Eventually, Stephanie met someone she wanted to date exclusively, so she broke things off with Jared, and he wished her well. It all seemed very mature and drama-free. After it ended, she didn't think about him very often. Same with Cassandra. Then, in August 2015, someone, we still don't know who, figured out that Jared, the soft brunette man, the Asheville coffee shop owner, was posting online as Papa Jay. He had a blog and a podcast and a Twitter account, all under the name Holistic Game. Now, having a podcast was a really bold move because even though it was ostensibly anonymous, it was Jared's voice on it, undisguised. Anyone who'd ordered coffee from him enough times would be able to tell that it was him. You can't find the podcast online anymore, but apparently the person who uncovered his online identity did it by matching his voice to his appearance on a mini documentary about fancy coffee in Asheville. There's a lot of coffee shops where the baristas have the suspenders and the bow ties and the mustaches and they're mean to you. I'm not gonna pretend that I'm some, you know, like French hipster. This mysterious sleuth screenshotted some of his most horrifying writing and posted it online. And somehow people in Asheville found out about it. It rocketed around town the way scandalous news does in a small community. And it really was scandalous. The stuff Jared wrote, some of it was just stupid. He bragged about his harem, he called women plates. 
But what creeped me out the most was the rage seething in his writing. He wrote things like, the hardest thing in game is not hating women for how f***ing stupid they can be. And there are few things that give me more sadistic pleasure than witnessing the ever-increasing neuroses of a woman hitting the wall. Hitting the wall is manosphere speak for aging. It would be awful enough to discover that a guy you dated and thought was totally acceptable was actually seething with hatred for women. But there was something else on the blog too. A list that Jared had made of all the women he'd slept with over the past few years. A list of his manosphere conquests. A list that was now circulating throughout Asheville. The list was called A Breakdown of All My Lays, which is just so juvenile. And there was a numbered list in chronological order. And I believe that the list came from a spreadsheet. This was a list that Jared had made and posted online of every woman that he'd slept with since breaking up with his long-term girlfriend. A list of his manosphere conquests, if you will. It listed everybody by initial and then I think their age and then a numerical ranking of face body personality. So your score from one to 10 on face slash body slash personality. And then like the way that it ended, you would say like, like an example would be um, Y period, late 20s, comma, like five, five, six, comma, bailed. So, and then he would give a little description like, like I met Y at the coffee shop or like through work. And here's, here's what we did. Like there was some mm, sexually explicit stuff pretty often, but I wasn't feeling it. And so I, so I ghosted or something like that would be a pretty typical entry. And there were about 50 entries. Jared referred to various women he dated as damaged goods, headed towards cat lady status, and not very hot. He also included some extremely private information about the women's bodies and what they were like in bed. Just feels like physically sickening to think about things that you did in private with someone. And it doesn't matter how casual it was. You know, you're just like two people being doing stuff together in private, but it wasn't private. The other participant who was there with you put his spin on it and used it to, you know, to kind of like advertise his, his techniques. Like, it's just so gross and upsetting. On the day that the list hit social media, Cassandra came home early from work and just fell apart. She was on the list too. And so were lots of other women she knew, friends to whom she'd vouched for Jared. Jared hadn't included their names, just their initials, but in a small community, that was plenty of information. I easily could tell who some of the people were. This is a small town, like, and, you know, like my thing even said, like a, you know, a, a cute frisky redhead. I think it said something about me having freckles. And then it was like, she's in a relationship with a musician. Like, it was very easily me. One of the people was a friend of mine who told me that she didn't hook up with him. She gave him a ride home one night and she said that they didn't hook up just because, you know, not because we were exclusive, but just like friends looking out for friends. You don't hook up with your friends, you know, 
person that they're seeing or whatever. And I was like, okay, that's fine. But they did hook up. Um, I was like, oh, like, what the hell? Like, you hooked up with them? And she's like, yeah, LOL, sorry, or something. It just added to the impression that this was a shit show that, like, I was only beginning to understand the surface of. Hearing these stories made me shudder because Cassandra and Stephanie, they thought they had done everything right. They had met a guy who seemed totally fine. They had been clear about what they wanted from Jared. Not some sort of grand romance, but just a little mutual entertainment and affection. That's what casual dating is, right? As for Jared, even though he got exactly what he wanted, his harem, it seemed to make him even more bitter and upset. This story, it just made dating seem like a dystopia with no right answers anywhere. Hey everyone, it's Vanessa, and I'm here to talk to you about Noom. Noom is a personalized weight loss plan. It's not just one size fits all. It takes into account your dietary restrictions, your medical issues, and any other personal needs. It's like a psychology plan, just it meets you where you are. And it also recognizes that losing weight is really a mental process. It starts with your motivation and with your brain. Noom's approach is also grounded in science. They've published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles that describe their methods and effectiveness. So stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. You can sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes. It's available to buy now wherever books are sold. Hey, it's Payne, and I'm here to tell you that we're back with a brand new season of Up and Vanished, called Up and Vanished in the Midnight Sun. In this newest season of Up and Vanished, I'm investigating an unsolved missing persons case in Nome, Alaska, on the edge of the Arctic Circle. Florence Okpialik, an Alaska native, was last seen on August 31st, 2020. And I've spent the last year in Alaska trying to find out what happened to her, putting myself in the most dangerous positions I've ever been in. You don't want to miss this brand new season of Up and Vanished. It is by far the most intense investigation I've ever been a part of. From Tenderfoot TV, Up and Vanished in the Midnight Sun is available right now. Listen for free on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Infamous from Campside Media. Jared and his co-owner, Jacob, who had also participated in the podcast, issued apologies. Jared's apology was more about himself than the women he'd wronged. It painted him as a sad sack pickup artist. It said, in part, Most of my life, I've struggled with insecurities around dating. I felt like in the past couple years that I'd finally gotten a handle on this and experienced more success. So I made a Twitter blog and got Jacob to podcast with me. We didn't always say nice things, and sometimes we were downright mean. I was naive enough to think it'd stay anonymous, and I was wrong. As you can probably guess, it did not go over well. Then, they offered to host forums where men and women could openly discuss gender issues. But absolutely no one wanted that. They offered to donate their coffee shop's profits for the rest of the year to Our Voice, a local rape crisis center. But Our Voice turned down their donation. They issued a statement saying, 
We are not in a position of absolving them for their misogyny as it perpetuates a culture of danger to all women and girls. In a small town like Asheville, this impacted everyone. It's like, like this is like people's exes, people's best friends. These are people's coworkers, baristas, sisters. Like it's not a faceless thing. This town was too small for it to be even remotely anonymous. I went to a party and somebody I'd never met before approached me and she was like, I'm so sorry it happened to you, girl. Oh my God. And I was like, what, 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 what? Like I've never met this person and I don't want pity. And who is, it's unsettling to walk into a party and people are, you know, talking about you. So the women on Jared's list sort of banded together. At first, they just connected over Facebook. Then they started meeting up, sort of like a support group. It helped. Perhaps it also helped to see the protest outside of Jared's coffee shop. And it wasn't just regular customers who were boycotting Waking Life Espresso. Jared had been selling coffee to all sorts of shops around town. Now, those shops were canceling their orders and promising to donate the money from Waking Life coffee sales to Our Voice. It was some kind of justice, at least. But although most people were like, f*** this guy, Cassandra says, not everyone took it that way. There were a lot of people that were just like, you know, I, I've seen worse things happen in high school. This seems like immature. Get over it. Like, they're just a bunch of stupid boys. Boys will be boys, you know. Later on, somebody actually wrote a play about the whole story for the local community theater. A play opening tonight in Asheville is already raising some eyebrows, even before its first showing. It's called Red Pill Diaries. It was inspired by a scandal that shook the city last fall. It involves two local business owners who made degrading comments about women. News 13's Ashley Searles joins us. Ashley, this is a satire with singing and dancing? Yeah, that's right. And so, to some A satire with singing and dancing. That really didn't help. People, like, broke up over this. Not even, like, people that were affected by this, but just like people having conversations with their partners and their partners being like, I don't really, I don't really see this as that big of a deal. The women I spoke with in Asheville were also smart and funny and thoughtful about this whole experience. They made so much sense to me. The person who I didn't get at all was Jared. He was just completely unfathomable to me. Had he thought he was going to get away with this? Had he wanted to get caught? And was he some awful outlier, or more frighteningly, was he actually representative of the male dating pool? I figured there was no way I would get an answer to these questions. Every attempt that Jared had made to explain or justify his actions had just made things so much worse. There was no way he should be talking to a reporter if he knew what was good for him. But I asked anyway, and it turned out he'd actually been waiting for a chance to explain himself. Do you still want to get married when you're 38 to a 25-year-old? Yeah. Really? To a 25-year-old? Yeah. Derek Jeter's doing it. If you didn't quite hear that, that's Jared saying that he wants to get married to a 25-year-old when he's 38. Because Derek Jeter's doing it. More of this story next time on Infamous. Infamous.